1 Corinthians chapter number 5. We've been working our way through Corinthians. I kind of like this. I know I'll say it every Sunday, but I kind of like this. I kind of like knowing where we're going and, and just really studying out the passage. But uh, Paul, in the first four chapters, he was addressing the divisions in the church. You know, the Corinthian church has a lot of problems, and he was addressing the divisions in the church. He was addressing them lining up behind men. I know, it's a review. He was addressing them lining up behind different men and, and uh, creating factions within the church, and he, he's got it settled. We line up behind Christ. We preach Christ and him crucified. We humble ourselves. There's, there's nothing in us when we get up to preach. It's Christ and him alone. When we get to chapter number five, and then Paul switches over, and he begins to talk about morality in the church and problems, some problems they have with morality in the church. I'm going to read the passage here, and then we're going to pray. He said, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is not so much, as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That's a hard thing to do, to turn someone over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But there's a purpose behind it, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yea, not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners, or with the idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. And just real quick there, Paul saying, you know... <laughs> You try to separate yourselves from everything, you're going to have to go out of the world to get away from it. He said, but now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you today, Lord, as we just work our way through your word, work our way through the Corinthian church, Lord. And we just thank you for the lessons that we receive from it, Lord. I just pray that this message it will go to the heart, Lord. And I just pray that as a church, Lord, we, we begin to grow. We begin to grow spiritually. We begin to grow in body, Lord. And... uh we desire to do your will, Lord. We desire to be a witness and a testimony to you in the world. Lord, as we look at this, may this, may this passage not only apply in the past, Lord, but may we apply it to our hearts. May it ever speak to us. We just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So Paul's addressing a problem in the church, and I, I hate to even talk about it because we, we got so much in our heads, but he said it is, it is reported commonly. In other words, it's being talked about pretty much. He sat around at the house of Chloe. I tend to think maybe he heard about it at the house of Chloe, or maybe he heard the rumors going around. And such fornication, that there is fornication among you, and such fornication is, is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Maybe a young man that married his father's wife. We don't know what was going on there. It doesn't really matter the circumstances. The fact is there was blatant sin within the church. And Paul says, he he tells him in verse number two, he says, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. In other words, the Corinthian, the church at Corinth seemed to be comfortable with it all. They seemed to be celebrating. Now, this is a spot where the preacher can go on and, and, and point fingers at people and say, hey, you know, we've got to get sent out of the church. The fact of the matter is, when you see what's happening in the church at Corinth, you look at your own life, and you look at those things in your own life that you don't purge yourself. There's things you do in your own life that you've grown comfortable with. There's things you do in your own life that, that you're just that you get puffed up about, just like they did at the church at Corinth. So when he talks to them, he says, and you're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. So he lays out the sin that's going on in the church. I know everybody gets nervous, but that's the great thing about going book to book, right? Or passage to passage. We just, this is where we land. So he, he points out the sin that's going on in the church He says, uh, verse number three, for I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. Paul says, even though I'm a great distance away. And, and, you know, sometimes when we're further away from the problem, we can see what the problem is. Sometimes when you're faced with the problem or you're right there in front of it, you think everything's okay. And, uh. He says, for I verily as absent in the body, but present in the spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. And then he lays out the the discipline for it. You have a church body and you have the sin that's going on in it. When we look back at the church of Acts over in uh, Acts chapter number. Acts chapter number four, I think it is five. Well, you have Ananias and Sapphira and they. There was sin within the church because they had sold. Everyone was selling everything that they had, and they were giving it to the church. Ananias and Sapphira, they saw that and said, man, look at the praise Barnabas is getting. Look at the praise that those other people are getting. Well, we'll we'll sell this house, but we kind of need the money for this over here. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll sell it for what we pay for it. We'll just go ahead and keep back this little bit. And... They get struck dead. Because Peter asked him, he said, did you sell it for this much? And he said, yeah, yeah. And we gave all the money to the church, and they dropped dead. Ananias walks in, and he, he drops dead. And they bring Sapphira in. And she tells the same lie, and then she drops dead. You know, when I first read that, I said, man, that's harsh. <laughs> I mean, who hadn't told a lie, right? I said, man, that's harsh. If they drop dead. But I tell you what, when you look at the church that was going on, well, the, the, the church was in its fledgling stages. God cannot tolerate 
If he'd have left that spot within the church, it would have just amplified. It would just would have grown. And they were lying to the Holy Spirit. And it's like Peter said. He said, when it was yours, wasn't it your own? Nobody told you that you had to give it all to the church. It was, a, it was an unnecessary lie. There was no reason for you to lie to us. Because nobody was telling you you had to give it all to us. If they'd have sold it for this much and said, hey, we're going to give this much out of what we sold, that would have been just fine. But there was a spot within the church. There was a blight within the church at that time. And I tell you, it can affect the church. I mean, how many stories you heard about deacons? I know I throw this illustration up, but, you know, it just stuck with me, the story of the deacon that wrapped a belt around. First of all, I tried to figure out how that happened. But he was trying to sell a car that had the bearings rattling, and he sold he wrapped a leather belt around the bearings to keep them quiet, you know, so when they get down the road, oh, my goodness, the car's falling apart. You know, <laughs> it's the spot within the church. And the, the title of my sermon today is Purging the Leaven. But there's leaven. You know, you know what leaven is. You know the whole illustration behind it. If you don't understand, I'm about to explain it. But when you're making bread, if you don't put yeast in the bread, the bread won't rise. We buy our bread. We don't have to make it hardly anymore. You go to the store and you got the fluffy bread. That's because the yeast was in there and that caused, that's leaven and causes the bread to rise. When you read in the Bible and they talk about leaving out the leaven and they talk about making the unleavened bread, that's basically a cracker. It's flat bread. It's not, it hasn't risen. And we'll be talking about that next week. But a little bit of leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Boy came and told his dad a little bit of lie. There was a lot of truth in what he'd said, but there was a little lie in there. And when his dad called him out, he said, well, it's just a little bit. You know, we were hanging out. We had a mostly peaceful time, <laughs> to quote this summer, right? But, you know, there was just this little bit. So dad said, okay. So he made brownies, and when they were sitting down, dad said, son, I just want to tell you something, though, before we eat. They said, uh, the batter fell on the floor, and the dog had pooped on the floor right where it fell. Now, I got it all out. I got most of it out. There might be just a little bit of dog poop in these brownies. The son looked down at the brownie, and he wasn't hungry anymore. Dad said, it's just a little bit. In the Old Testament, Lot, when him and Abraham separated, Lot looked out on the plains that were well watered. Abraham went his way, and it said, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. He just pitched his tent towards Sodom. He didn't go into Sodom. We know how the story ends. We know how he's in Sodom. We know how his, his son-in-laws and his daughters mock him. They won't leave. He's trying to tell them the city's going to be destroyed. By the time he gets out, Lot has nothing. All he did was pitch his tent towards Sodom. And the part that's always struck me, because well, I won't tell you why, but the part that always struck me, they get out on the plains, and he looks out, and they tell him, go to the mountains to be safe. I mean, there's fire, there's death and destruction down there in the valley where Sodom and Gomorrah are being destroyed. He tells him, go up to the mountains to be safe. Lot looks around, and he says, and he pleads with him. 
And he says, well, what about this city over here? It's just a little city. Just a little bit. It's just a little city. And the angel ends up letting him go there, but he ends up in the mountain anyway. The Bible doesn't tell us how that happened. But Lot could not help but look over toward another city. He'd been gotten out. You know, the Bible talks about returning to the vomit, the dog that returns to the vomit, the pig that returns, the the sow that is washed returning to wallowing in the mire. And that's what people do as humans. Can't get away from the sin. Keep going back to it. Keep going back to it. And he says, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. For I verily is absent in body, but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. He said, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and this is the discipline, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, and there's God's full name, our Lord Jesus Christ. It has his deity. It has his manhood. It has his position as Messiah. Our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. So the purpose is the destruction of the flesh. We know that when you're saved, you're saved. We know that when you're in Christ, you have a home in heaven. You know, we know that you're sealed until the day of salvation. But this body, this flesh on this earth, he's telling is turn them over to Satan. It's not the first time that Paul did that over in 1 Timothy, or it's not the, not the last time. 1 Timothy 1.18, he tells Timothy, This charge I commend unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went on before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, hath made shipwreck, of whom Hymenaeus, Hymenaeus, and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Delivered unto Satan. He said, uh, over in uh, Luke twenty-two thirty-one, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You know, let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted to God. God, may, you, you may get turned over to Satan, to get a wake-up call, kind of like that prodigal son that, that went over. There was nothing else that could be done. He was bound and determined to take his inheritance and spend it. But when he come to the end of himself, sometimes you just got to turn someone over. Now, I think, well, I'm not going to tell you what I think on that. I was thinking about churches again carried away with wanting to discipline people and wanting to keep purity within the church. But the fact of the matter is, there, there just comes a time when you got to separate. You know, churches can be forgiven, and churches can be accepting. But there are some things that you just can't allow in the church. I mean, just one blatant example would be a pedophile, and I'll leave it at that. That, that just goes to the extreme and paints the picture. you got to watch. I mean, you reach a point where you just have to let it go and let God deal with them, let Satan deal with them. Over in the book of Job, Job chapter number 2, if you want to go there, if not, I'm going to read it, but Job chapter number 2, verse number 3, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, 
a perfect and an upright man and one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without a cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. That's a good verse to remember. Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, this is the Lord, this is God saying unto Satan, he said, behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot into his crown. We know how that story is. But Satan was used to test Job. And God allowed him leeway to test Job. But Job was his servant. He said, I'll let you test him to a point. But his life, you can't take. Satan can't do something without God allowing him to. Now, when Peter, when Jesus told Peter that Satan had desired to sift him as wheat, Peter had some pride in him. And, you know, when you sift the wheat, the flour, you put it in there and, you can turn the crank or whatnot, and that the big chunks get taken out, and just the fine flour comes through, the good stuff. The Bible always talks about the purity coming out. When you, when you uh, boil gold and the dross comes to the top of the bar. But uh, Satan, uh, Peter, to be tried. And Peter, before that time, he had said, though all leave you, I won't leave you. Though all abandon you, I'll stay with you. And Peter was the one standing out by the world's fire. And a little girl said, this is him. He's one of them. No, I'm not. And I'm paraphrasing. He said, no, I'm not. And she said, no, he was with them. And then he ends up cussing. No, that wasn't me. And then he sees Jesus turn to him. And he begins to cry. He goes off. But he realizes that he had abandoned the Lord. He saw his own weakness. And it's when we can see our own weakness, realize we are strong. So Paul's telling them to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Here this sin is going on within the church. They haven't mourned. They're celebrating. They're having him at the feast. They're having him at the church. Oh, good to see you too. How are you doing today? And, and just let them in. He says, in the name of our Lord Christ, when you're come gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But there's a purpose behind it. It's not a permanent thing. There's a reason for it. And sometimes you forget that. You can push someone away, but be ready if they're willing to come back. He says that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's allowing the opportunity for him to come back, for him to reach the end of himself. We'll harbor that hate. We'll harbor those things in our heart. And, you know, sometimes it's self-defense, and I get it. People hurt. And I'm not telling you to go out and make yourself a victim. But what happens when they get saved and they come back and apologize and say, I'm sorry? Look over at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 2. That's just the next book over. Second comes right after 1 Corinthians. (laughs) 
2 Corinthians chapter number 2. Paul says, verse number 3, And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Now Paul's talking about this letter that he wrote in 1 Corinthians. When he wrote to them, he ripped them up. I'm being real nice with chapter number five here. But Paul was telling them, I mean, he, he was being straight up with them. Why are you allowing this to happen? I've already judged this. This is what you need to do. You need to get him out. And he said, but he says, how many of you remember that teacher in school that everybody was afraid of? And how many of you realize that when you were, and some of you were just bad kids and never realized. <laughs> But how many of you got in that class and realized that that teacher actually loved her students? Do you ever remember a time like that? That teacher, oh, she is mean, she is mean. You get into class and you realize that she's just, once you get in line, Dee's like that with kids. I, I mean, she, she'll flat out tell them. She'll, she'll straighten them out. She knows what makes them tick. I mean, if she were a mechanic, she'd have the car running top notch. But I tell you what, when the kids first meet her, they test her. She knows they're testing her. They, they try to test the limits. And she pushes back. No, ma'am. You're going to stand right there. But she knows how to talk to them. And she doesn't yell. She doesn't raise her voice. Those kids end up loving her. They, you know. And that, I remember that's the way it was when I was a kid. That mean teacher... And once you realize that she's trying to keep you from doing all of this so that you can really do this. You know, and a lot of times when, when God turns you over to Satan, it's to get you to quit doing this so that you can do this. And those kids love her for it. And so Paul's telling them here, he says, And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. He says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart. And he's talking about when he wrote the letter. I wrote unto you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Paul gave him the stick. Now he can tell him why. And he can tell him how bad it hurt. Have you ever tell your kid, it's going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you? <laughs> you're a kid. I know you're lying. It hurt. I remember whipping Caleb. It hurt me, but uh, it hurt him too. <laughs> that you should be grieved that you might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. Somebody that doesn't love somebody, just let them go on doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and give them the keys to do it. Said for out of uh, verse number five, but if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me but in part that I may not overcharge you all. He says, but any, if any have caused grief, he has not grieved me. You, you guys haven't hurt me, but in part, just to maybe it holds me back. It holds me back that I don't grieve you all or overcharge you all. So, verse number six, sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him 
lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. When someone gets turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, it's not, it's not sending them off to hell. If someone's truly saved, if someone's truly accepted Christ as their Savior, they're saved. But if you're out of line, you're out of line. And turning, getting turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved. This flesh will get you in a lot of trouble. This flesh will carry you down some roads you don't want to go. What is it they say? Sin will carry you further than you want to go and make you pay more than you ever wanted to pay. But he says, uh, so that contrary wise, you ought to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. He's saying, if you forgive him, I forgive him. They're judging. And you know, judge not lest you be judged. Well, there's some things that you have to judge, and that's sin. We're going to get to it. He said, uh, for to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you. And then in verse, uh, verse number 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He said, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. See, there comes a point, if you're not willing to forgive, Satan's getting the upper hand. There comes a point if you allow within the church or, or within yourself. And this is, this is where the rubber hits the road. We're talking about a church. We're talking about church discipline. But the Bible also talks about revenging all disobedience. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. Go back to, uh, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. So to deliver such a one out of Satan for the destruction of the flesh of the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. He says, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. We'll talk about how the leaven changes. The little bit that gets in there can change the whole lump. A little bit of dog poo can make the whole brownie contaminated. A little bit of, a little bit of coloring in water, and that water is not quite the same. A little bit of contaminant, you know. Uh, when I was doing water treatment, we had to put it in a machine to check for the, the quality of the water. He says, your glorying is not, uh, verse number seven, purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you're unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And then uh, when we talk about the leaven in Exodus chapter number 12, when they were, the Passover was when they were coming out of Egypt when they were about to exit Egypt. And God laid it out for them. He told them in the first month, on the 14th day of the month at even, you shall eat unleavened bread until the one and 20th day of the month at even. Seven days there shall be no leaven found in your houses. For whosoever eateth that which is leavened, even that soul shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he be a stranger or born in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened, and all your habitations shall you eat unleavened bread. That didn't mean that they didn't eat 
leavened bread. That doesn't mean that they ate flat cakes their whole life. But any time that bread was representing Jesus Christ, it was not to have any leaven in it. Because there is no sin in Christ. He's without sin. He's pure. And they had to purge it from their house. They had to get it out. Oh, oh we got a little in the corner here. Let's, we got to get this out. We got to clean up. Exodus 13, 6, seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall be no leavened bread be seen with thee. Neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. So leaven is little sins in our lives. I'm going to read you something that's a little old, but it's so eloquent. And this is by H.W. Uh, Beecher. He says, the little transgressions in which men indulge. You get that part, right? Those little things that we indulge in, though they have no power upon the settled course of human affairs. They're just little things. They don't move history. He says, even if they are swept out into a current of public sentiment that carries them down, as leaves are carried by the Amazon, are not harmless or indifferent. Those little things, they don't change history. And even if, even if society gets down on something, he said, it doesn't, it's not harmless. It's not, not harmless. It's a harmful thing. He says, nor indifferent, because aside from the influence of minor delinquencies upon the sum of affairs outwardly, in other words, you can kind of see it, in their life. He says there is another history and record, namely their influence upon the actor or the person. Those little, little things that you allow in your life, they whittle away at you. He said they deteriorate conscience. You can by a blow crush and destroy the conscience. You can, you can destroy it in a moment or you can nibble and gnaw it to pieces. There is one way in which a lion strikes down his prey, and there is another way in which a rat comes at his prey. And in time, the gnawing of vermin or the rat is as fatal to beauty and life itself as the stroke of a lion's paw. The lion can do a lot of damage in one swipe. Rats can do a lot of damage in a little swipe. Man, I can tell you, seeing what time and dirt and dust did back here, you know, and when we did the welcome center, that little bit of black mold that was in behind the walls, just because it was barely there, it was still doing damage. It was doing damage to all of us. And uh, next, let's see. It says they deteriorate the conscience. You can buy a blow, crush, and destroy the conscience, or you can nibble and gnaw it to pieces. And then he talked about the lion versus the rat as a fate. The, the gnawing of vermin is as fatal to beauty and life itself as the stroke of the lion's paw. These little infidelities to duty, truth, rectitude, lower the moral tone, limit its range, destroy its sensibility. In short, they put out its light. And then he goes into another illustration here. He says, it is recorded of a lighthouse erected on a tropical shore that it was like to have failed for the most unlooked-for reason. In other words, they put up this lighthouse, and, and it almost didn't work. They had unintended, unanticipated problems. 
He said, when first kindled or first lit, the brilliant light drew about it such clouds of insects which populate the evening and night of the equatorial lands, in other words, down in the Caribbean, that they covered and fairly darkened the glass. There was a noble light that shone out into the darkness and vanquished night that all the winds could not disturb, nor all the clouds and storms hide, but the soft wings and gauzy bodies, or thin bodies, of myriads of insects, each one of which was insignificant, effectually veiled the light or covered it up, and came near to defeating the proposed gift to the mariners. In other words, they got this light that will shine out in darkness and storms and rain, and it's powerful, and it's blinding, and it go out into the sea to lead the ships in, but all these insects combine, these little things, insignificant. You can swat them, you can squish them with your finger, but all together those little things began to cover up the light to where it wouldn't get out. He says, there may be a power in it to resist great assault, to overcome strong. Let's see. And so it is in respect to conscience. There may be a power in it to resist great assault. We're ready for the big problems. Say, Satan, I'm, I'm ready. But then there's a little problem that stems up. He says, and so it is in respect to conscience. There may be a power in it to resist great assault, to overcome strong temptations, and to avoid fearful dangers. But there may be a million little venomous insect habits, unimportant in themselves, taken individually, but fearful in their results collectively. Another illustration is given of a pier that's put in. The pilings are put in, and great pilings. My grandfather, I I used to listen to the stories he told me, and and one of the stories was that my great-grandfather was one of those bell helmet divers. And they would call, he was a a burly man. My grandfather worked a pump for him. And over there in the causeway, one of the stories he told me was of the, of the, uh, this is for free, by the way. But one of the stories he told me was of a crane falling over, but they wanted to get it up. They had to get cables around it. And so my, my great-grandfather went down, and my grandfather was working the pumps, and he said he couldn't even see down there. There was so much mud and everything. He was doing it all by feel, you know. But those, these great pilings that are put in, these wooden pilings, it would take a, it would take a ship coming at full force to knock one of those things over. But they've got to be replaced after so many years because of all these little things that'll eat at them, eat at them. Like it does a tree, it'll kill a tree. A, wor- a single worm can kill a tree, just eating at it. And that's what our sins do to us. We got our eyes open for the big one. And we're learning this over there in Sunday school when it talks about the law. Adultery? No. I hadn't crossed that line. Oh, looking on a woman to lust after her. Oh, hold on now. And, and so it goes. Those little things that we allow into our lives, those little things that we allow in front of us, they begin to whittle away at us, begin to whittle away at our conscience until our conscience says, well, this is okay. It's like that seared steak. It's just hard on the outside, but tender on the inside. So in, back in chapter number five, he says, Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. 
For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He said, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then you must needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is a brother be, be that is called a brother be a fornicator or a covenant or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one, know not to eat. So Paul is saying, I wrote unto you not to keep company with these bad people. When you look out in the world, it's real easy to see it. And say so you can look out of the world, yeah, I'm separated. I'm double separated. I stay on this side. I walk right. I spit white. I, I don't drink. I don't chew. I don't hang out with those that do. I love getting those old preaching phrases in. But within the church, are you allowing it? Within your own life, are you allowing that leaven to take hold? And it begins to eat at you. He says, oh, and he, he names out the list, not just the sin at the beginning, but all the other sins. And he says, but, I now, but now I have written unto you to keep company, not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or a covenant or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? And he's, he's talking about the world. It's, it, the world that's in sin, it's good to stay away from. But you got to realize, too, if you stay away from all of it, you'll have to leave the world. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you mix in. I'm saying there's a reality there that we live in this world, that we're still a witness and a testimony. Let me give you an illustration from something recent. I'll try not to get political with it. But, and it's... Online forum, when, when they cancel things, or there's companies that they cancel, you know, they, they'll, they'll cancel a person or they'll cancel uh, customers that buy their product. Do you, do you get where I'm going? I don't want to go all the way down this road and be political about it. But I'm talking about this cancel culture. So on the other side, you have them say, well, we're not going to shop there anymore. And if you say anything about going into something like Walmart, what are you still doing going there? You know? So what happens is you begin to get this list. Not going here, 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 not going here. And by the time you get to it's like, where are we going? You begin to cancel everything out of your life. You got, you got nowhere. You, you got to be able to live in this world, but not be a part of this world. You got to be able to be a stranger just passing through. You know the old song? This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. But anyway, he said, uh, so all of these things. So, you know, Paul's talking about if you stay away from everything, you're going to have to leave the world. But I'm telling you to watch out for the ones in the church. Watch out, and I'm telling you to watch out for the things in your own life. 
we, get, we can get so caught up on what's on the outside, we might not be worried about what's in the inside. And that's what Jesus was trying to change over in Matthew chapter number 5. He was uh, internalizing the law that they were so well at keeping on the outside. He said, you scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites, you keep the outside of the cup clean, but inside is dirty. He said, you're whited sepulchers. He said, on the outside it's white, but in the inside is dead men's bones. And he said, for what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not judge them. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not you judge them that are within, but them that are without God judge it. Therefore, put away from yourselves that wicked person. It's separating is the point that he's making. If you'll stand...